Hello, you are listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy. In today's episode, we are exploring and talking all about boundaries, and I'm so excited to share my conversation that I had all about boundaries with licensed marriage and family therapist, Vienna Ferrone. Vienna got her master's from Northwestern University. She specializes in working with couples, and you probably have come across her work on Instagram at MindfulMFT. We explore and understand and define boundaries. We talk about the different kinds of boundaries, how they can show up in our intimate relationships. How do we know when they've been crossed? We explore some of the differences between setting boundaries and keeping boundaries. We talk about the role of anger as an emotional experience in the context of boundaries and just explore in general boundaries in different relationships and how these things show up. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you, so let's get to it. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Vienna, thank you so much for being here and making the time for this conversation today. I am so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat all things boundaries. <laughs> yes. So first, I want to share how I first came across your work. So I was in the throes of my PhD program and, you know, kind of thinking about what comes next and thinking about you know, opening a private practice and like ways to market myself and my business. And I was considering going on social media as a professional. At that point in time, I had an Instagram account and I was on social media, both like, you know, personally and privately. Um, but I also did some creative work, but like, I never really like outed myself as a therapist in that creative work that I was doing. And it just, I, I wasn't sure if that was something that I could do. I was, I was nervous and a little scared about stepping into the larger wellness arena as a licensed professional on uh, social media platforms. And you were like, I was like, are any other therapists doing this? And I went on and I found your work and I was like, wow, they, there is somebody out there doing this, like as an MFT, stepping into this larger wellness dialogue. Um, and yeah, then I, it's just, it was a, it was an inspiration to be like, this is, a, it's, it's, I can do this, you know, um, and I can do this well, and I can uphold the integrity of my license while, you know, showing up in this wellness arena on social media, like using my license to offer accountability for what I'm sharing out there. And that was initially how I came across your work as like one of the first therapists that I found who was also on social media doing these things and sharing, sharing their knowledge. Uh, that's amazing. That makes me so happy to hear. I think I, it's not so uncommon to hear that feedback. I was just back at my alma mater in Northwestern and I was talking to the soon to be graduates of the marriage and family therapy program and what came out there was uh just this need for permission to mm. take up space in this way and i know it sort of goes against uh a lot of the training sometimes <laughs> you know like you know the sort of like ethical code and uh is this okay and what you know and how am i going to interact with people and um yeah, yeah. it's it, it's been beautiful. It's a, such a beautiful platform. Um, it's such a beautiful way to give 
some information that's really good for people and it's free and it gives people something to think about and a new perspective. And yeah, I'm so glad to see so many people in the mental health world sort of taking up space and finding their own voice and creating their own uh, tool to uh, bring this information forward to people. It's amazing. So I'm so happy to hear that. Thanks for telling me that. No, yes. And like, I completely agree that embedded, I think in our training is the message, like stay private, stay quiet. And like within that is this message of staying small. And as a, as a woman, that was not an uncommon message to receive and to sort of like kind of buy into at least in the beginning. Um, but yeah, just really working through that to identify the ways in which that, that actually isn't helpful for us. It's not necessary. It's not helpful to the larger community for us to stay small and stay private and stay quiet. And we can take up space and we can do that while still upholding the integrity of our licenses, you know? Um, uh, Well, thank you for the work that you're doing and for in many ways paving the way. Thank you. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more just about your background before we step into this conversation around boundaries. How did you come to do this work? What was your journey into becoming an MFT? Sure. I, uh, my parents, um, as it, as it almost always goes back into our family system, um, my parents Mm -hmm. got separated, uh, when I was in first grade and, uh, I'm an only child and I, uh, was a pretty serious observer and witness to a lot of the dysfunction um, in their relationship and what was going on in that time. And they divorced over uh, what was a, about a nine-year period. And I think at the time wow. it was the longest one in the state of New Jersey. And <clears throat> you know, as an only child who didn't have siblings uh, to talk about it with and um, you know, really feel connected to about what was going on. I, I just watched and observed and, you know, obviously there is wounding and trauma and pain that comes from, from all of that. It did for me. Um, and it became a catalyst for wanting to understand relationships and why some work and, and why some don't. And from a pretty unevolved place, right. From a very fear-based place, I think initially I wanted to safeguard my relationships. I wanted to learn all of the things that I needed to learn to make sure that I wasn't going to get a divorce and, And I became super curious that has shifted and is obviously has evolved in, in the work and in the practice that I do. But, you know, when I think back to like, what was the catalyst or what's this origin story was just seeing this pain that can come out of intimate relationships and being a witness to it. And obviously experiencing my own experience and observing my own experience as a child moving through um, this divorce and moving through uh, the trauma and uh, wanting to find this path forward so that there's integration and so that you're not just choosing either a path of repetition or a path of opposition, but finding this way to actually integrate um, into your life and move forward in a way that feels peaceful and freeing. And obviously we get it right and wrong and misstep and it's messy and we're human, but I really wanted to move into this path of integration. Uh, so, you know, that was, that was the catalyst. I would not have been able to describe it that well years, you know, like 10 years ago, but 
I think, as, you know, like as I've really done this work, right, that's, it's been the motivation, even though the motivation may have been a little messy in the beginning. <sighs> no, I, I really appreciate you sharing that piece of it, right? Because I think that so often, I mean, for many reasons, I just think for anybody who has had their own stories, which of course they have, and it's not a straight line. It's not linear. It's messy. It goes up and down. There's steps back, then there's steps forward. But I think also just for you as a provider, as a relationship expert, as a mental health provider, to just be able to sort of own that, like, yes, I can talk about it now in this like very articulate like way that it describes it in a story format. But like, that's just not how life happens, right? Like, it's so messy. Yeah. Yeah. So messy. So I think this is a so messy. And I think this is a really um beautiful like way to just kind of step into this dialogue around boundaries, which are one so abstract, right? Like we talk about them all the time. Like anybody who's listening has heard about setting boundaries and mm-hmm. how important boundaries are, but it's not something we can touch. It's not something we can, it's not tangible, right? Like it's a, it's a line. It's like something between us and something else, but it's not something we can tangibly touch. And so in many ways, these ideas around boundaries, even though we've heard of them and we recognize they're important are so abstract, um, and so I would love to hear from you. How do you understand and define boundaries? Yeah. So, you know, I think you described it really well and you're right. I get so many messages from people being like, I, I like conceptually think I understand what boundaries are and yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure what that looks like in my day-to-day life and where do I set them? What, when are they too high? Like what, what does this really look like? And is it different for family members than what it looks like with a colleague or a friend or a partner or someone that I'm just going on a date with, right? right. Like, are there these different set of rules around what boundaries look like with different people in our lives, um, which I think is a, you know, hopefully we'll get into that um, because I think it's such a fascinating, fascinating topic. But, you know, I I would agree with how you describe this invisible line between, you know, me and something else and that that line and sort of the agreements around what that line represents is a um, way of teaching people how we want to be treated. and you know how it's okay for this person to show up but also part of boundaries requires us to re- recognize when they're they're too rigid and where it is i think i'm setting this really healthy boundary to keep myself protected from something whatever that threat might be but i also might be blocking intimacy or i might be blocking connection i I I think a lot of clinicians, a lot of therapists talk about boundaries within the context of them either being rigid uh, or porous or healthy. And so, you know, to sort of break that down a little bit, rigid boundaries would mean that there's a really high wall uh, around us, right? That that line, um, there's a wall that's sort of coming out of that line. So there's this big wall probably made out of concrete around us and we're really protected behind that wall. Yeah, totally. Right. It's like I were really, really protected behind that wall, but it is near impossible to feel connected. Porous boundaries would be the fence that has gaping holes in it because some animal has like cracked Mm. through it over and over again. And so the panels are out uh, and so anything can come in or out. Right. And so we can be 
really, really connected in that space, but we're not protected. And then the healthy boundaries are that there's a fence and it has a lock, but it's also able to be unlocked. And, you know, you allow what comes in and what leaves and people are able to come in and they're able to leave. And this is where we are feeling both connected and protected simultaneously, right? It's the both and. And obviously our work is to move into having healthy boundaries, but that can be really challenging for us, especially when we have been part of systems, whether it's our family system or relational systems where boundaries haven't been healthy. You know, like I, as a marriage and family therapist, always go back into the exploration of our family of origin, which is just the family system in which we grew up in. Um, And that might mean parents, it might mean siblings, it might be grandparents, it might be the neighbor, like there's so many different people um, and participants in what our family systems are. But understanding what was what was their relationship to boundaries what did boundaries look like in my family system were they rigid were they porous were we enmeshed were we disconnected like what was going on because that is our template for how we show up in this world you know it is the origin template for how we observe and then how we integrate like this is what i need to do as i move forward in life and so when we're not exploring that then it's really hard to say like i'm now in my 40s and i am gonna just set some healthy boundaries (laughs) we don't know how to do that we don't know what the constraints are we don't know what program has been running underneath the hood so I've just spoken a lot there, but maybe, yeah, I'll bring you back into oh, some oh, thoughts. That's so valuable. One thing, one thing that I've heard, I've heard you talk about boundaries as sort of like this filtration mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear a little bit more how you understand boundaries as a filtration system. Yeah, it's a, it's like a sieve, you know, where what's going to get through and yeah. what's going to, what's actually going to get stopped. And you know, I think a lot of times that that concept and that conversation actually comes forward um, when people are thinking about dating. And, you know, when we're, when we're in the dating yeah. space, um, it's like, we just, oh man, we just want to be accepted and chosen. And, you know, can I get the second date? And is this person going to like me? And, you know, and we, we really fall, fall victim to that. And it honestly, it doesn't, I, I have found that it doesn't even matter how much self work you've done and how, you know, like how reflective and insightful you are that when we're in that space, a lot of the time we just, we, we fall into it. You know, I just want this to work. I want this to, to happen. Happen. And our boundaries oftentimes get really weak in that space. And you know, I think it's yeah. it's being able to say, you know, this is this is accept it's essentially saying this is what's acceptable behavior uh if if we are going to do this together. Right. If we're gonna go on this date together, as an example, like you're not gonna text me 30 minutes before the date to tell me, like, hey, are we still on? And like, how about we meet here in an hour? You know, like it's this is how I want this to go. And sometimes people will say, Well, but isn't that really risky? Right? Isn't that then me yeah. risking that this person is gonna be like, Oh my gosh, you're too much, you your expectations for this are like are so unrealistic, like forget about the date. And now I'm never going to hear from this person again. And yeah, it is a risk, right? Like (laughs) it's a risk risk worth taking because that is setting it up. And it's, uh, that 
is a reality of what could happen in that space. And in fact, it, it often does, right? When we say, hey, I actually really like to make a plan ahead of time. Uh, that feels like a really nice way for both of us to honor each other's time. Um, you know, that's such a reasonable thing to say. And and but we have to take that risk that there has to be a consequence there that we're willing to take on because otherwise we start to allow behavior that actually doesn't fit for us and i just that's such a pretty straightforward like easy example to give it obviously can become much more complex than that but as a filtration system to say well it, do you actually want to be with someone who isn't going to honor your time, right? Like if this is not how they're willing to show up or hear that feedback, like, is that actually somebody that you want to put energy and effort into? And most people say, no, of course not, but I still want to go on that date or I still want to feel wanted, or I still want to see if maybe like this connection is there. And so that's a very simple way of seeing where we allow something to happen that actually doesn't align for us um, and isn't yeah, like isn't in agreement with the expectations and the agreements that we want for ourselves, right? Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is I think that anger as an emotion gets a very bad reputation, right? It's like anger is, you know, when anger jumps in the driver's seat, it's always bad. Like mm. anger is, the, you know, the secondary emotion. There's always something underneath anger, which is not true, right? Like anger at its core is often there when it's when it's experienced as an emotion as primary. Mm. Like it's there to show us when our rights have been violated in sure. some way or we are witnessing the rights, um, the violation of rights. Mm -hmm. And so anger can get a bad reputation. But what I'm hearing in this like filtration idea, a filtration sort of concept here is that, you know, anger can actually play a role in that. And so like when, you know, when somebody texts you 30 minutes before to confirm where you got, where you're going to be meeting up and like what the date, you know, confirming the date and where you're going to meet up, you might feel like a, a surge of anger around that. And we could listen to that as like an indicator that like this actually feels not okay. Like this isn't how I want to be treated. Yeah. Um, and I can use that data and information to then respond and, and communicate and express what the boundary is. Um, but yeah, so do you see anger having that role in this filtration system? Absolutely. And I think, you know, it, like you said, it's this data, it's this, this information, it's this evidence that's letting us know that something is being crossed for us, that something doesn't feel, whether it's respectful or honorable or whatever, whatever it is, like there is a line which you know, that line is our boundary. It's that level of respect that is being crossed. Now, this is going to take a little bit of a pivot, but I think the problem with that is that we have been trained to not trust our intuition, to not trust what it is that we're feeling. And really going back to what you just said about, you know, our relationship to anger. Well, this is a bad thing. I need to hide this. I need to move this out. Like, just get over it. No, 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 no. Don't be this angry person or don't be this reactive person or don't be this person who's yeah. feeling something. I have to find a way to manipulate what it is that I'm feeling right now in order to make this date work. If we're going to stick with the date example. And yeah. that 
that's a cross of your own boundary, right? So now we're talking about people outside of us crossing boundaries. And now we're starting mm-hmm. to move into when is it that I self-abandon? When is it that I cross my own boundary? And when is it, you know, is it appropriate sometimes? Maybe, maybe it's, I have this boundary and now I'm starting to realize that, oh, this person is safer and I can actually start mm-hmm. to open myself up more. So I rework the boundary that I have in place. But when we feel a certain way and then we find a way to rationalize it, minimize it, shrink it, distort it, do something to it that tampers with it, we move away from trusting our intuition, honoring it, listening to it and being with it. And it's because we're so, one, we've been self-abandoning uh, for a really long time. Two, we've had people who who we see and deem as authorities and experts of our lives telling us that what we're feeling is wrong um, and that, no, 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 that's not actually what was happening with dad. This is what was happening with dad. Or no, 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 no. Well, you shouldn't be feeling this way. Like, come on, stop crying. You're tougher than that. Like, We have so many experiences in our lives where people are moving us away from, wait a second, I'm feeling something and that what it is that I'm feeling is (laughs) an experience that I'm having and it's valid and I can just be with it without it becoming something major. But how do I honor it in this space? And then fast forward to adult life. Okay, well, I've got to find a way to move this emotion and this feeling out and not listen to it because I haven't been listening to it for a really long time. So what do we do? <laughs> right? And it's a hard training to sort of get back to what are the boundaries in my life? What are the ways that I want to be uh, respected? And how do I want people to show up? And how do I want to show up for myself and for others? And what does that look like? And how do I actually pay attention to that in motion, right? How do I actually observe that while it's happening and then start to allow myself to trust my intuition again? Because our intuition is so good. (laughs) It's so, so good. But because our relationship to boundaries is, has been really weak for most of us, it's really hard for us to trust that it's okay to follow through on what it is that we're feeling and that it is okay for us to take that risk and for us to sit with the consequence that maybe I'm not going to have that date and that's actually okay. Mm. Yeah. And you know, it's, speaking here about intuition, you know, it's, it's so, I find it so fascinating and empowering when I'm able to connect in with it, how our, like our bodies will tell us when something isn't okay. Like our bodies will offer us data. Like I know for myself, if I, I could spend time with somebody and like, there could be a certain period of time where it's okay. And then after a certain period of time, like my body will tell me like, this is no longer okay. Like this is no longer somebody that I want to be in this close connection with right now. Like, and if I listen to the intuition, that data, like it gives me information about how, like, even just like time-wise, like how, how long is it okay for me to spend time visiting with this person or, or, or talk or communicating or connected to this person. Um, and listening to that can be really supportive, but yeah, so many messages can come in. And I think, you know, for men and women, those messages can sometimes be, be really different. Um, I know for me as a woman, the message has been like, it's your job to take care of relationships, to be connected, to nurture. And that can make it really tricky to really listen to the intuition around those boundaries. Yeah. And it's why we go into that space to explore what, what are the messages that I 
have received yes. around, you know, how I show up in relationships. If we're in a, and again, we can do this work within the context of how I show up with in work, how I show up to money, how I show up to, um, you know, gender, how I show up, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, today, obviously we're talking about boundaries and, and we're also talking about, um, you know, relationships, right? And so yeah. going back into that space to say, well, what are the implicit and the explicit messages that I've received around the expectations of me as this person uh, in relationship? And, you know, am I supposed to be the caretaker, right? Was that something that I watched? Um, is that something that has become part of a belief system that I have of, you know, this is what I ought to do. And this is what I saw, you know, one of my parents do, for example. Um, what did I get messaging growing up of like, you know, I just like any explicit message around, you yeah. know, make sure that you are so needed by the person that they never want to leave you. Okay. Well, what does that look like? You know, and that, because obviously that message is going to lead to very weak boundaries, right? Very porous boundaries. Okay. I'll do whatever it takes, right? I just want to please you. I just want to make sure that everything is okay. All right. And so we have to check those to be like, okay, well, what's the programming, right? What's the system? What's the operating system? that's in action right now? And how do I feel about that operating system? Does that system lead me to something that's freeing and expansive and connective? Or does that operating system lead me to my suffering? Does it lead me to feeling disconnected? Does it lead me to feeling reactivity? My, um, my partner, he says, reactivity is a direct line into our shadow, right? It's a, it lets us know that something is activated always. So whether you are um, expressing it verbally, or like you said before, I can feel it in my body, right? Like if I, do I feel it in my chest? Do I feel it in my face or my jaw? Do I feel it in my stomach? Like where is it taking up space and what is it communicating? Because that reactivity is letting you know something. And when you avoid it, you are doing such a service to yourself. And you're not taking this opportunity to say, what's coming up for me? What's the story around this? What, what belief system am I trying to power through right now that my system is telling me that it doesn't want to? Because we're constantly trying to bring these stories and these belief systems and these shoulds, and I, I have to do this, or this is what it looks like because there's an outcome that I am chasing and clinging to. And when we're having a reactive experience within our system, it is telling us that something needs to be challenged. Something needs yes. to be overridden. I think that's the right word. I was going to overrun, yeah. overridden. Um, yeah. and, and that we, we have to pay attention to that. Because it's an outdated system when there's a reactivity there that's saying like, you need to pay attention and you need to look at this and see what needs to be altered. Yeah. And so then there's the setting of boundaries, but then there's also the keeping of boundaries, right? Like, like the long haul, like the setting boundaries is like, okay, recognition that like, this isn't okay. Something here needs to change. Yeah. Like, you know, tuning into those pieces and identifying what the boundary is it needs to be set. And then there's like 
yeah. yeah. Then there's the long haul of like ma- maintenance of these boundaries, right? And like yeah. maybe you could maybe you could describe a little bit like the difference between these things. Like how how do we then like do the work around the ma- maintenance of these boundaries? Oh yeah, we are so good at making the boundaries. We are not <laughs> great at keeping them. And I think if I had to simplify it to to one thing and one takeaway is that the keeping of boundaries means that there is a consequence. And Mm -hmm. we have a really hard time putting consequences into place. And we can tell people like, I don't want you to treat me this way anymore, or this is what our relationship is going to look like. And if you can't do that, then this, but when we get to the, then this, whatever the, then this is, we again, find ourselves oftentimes re-rationalizing, finding the exception, repeating, setting the boundary, but we don't actually put the consequence into place. And the consequence might mean that I am not going to talk to you anymore, or it might mean that a relationship is going to end, or I am going to take space, or no, I'm not coming home for the holidays, or if I do come home, I'm getting uh, a hotel room, and I'm not going to stay in my childhood home, or I'll come by for two hours, and then I'm leaving, right? Like, there are many things that we, that require us to create those consequences, because a lot of times people don't know how to adhere their resistant to it. They're stuck in their own belief systems. They're, you know, they, they've got their own story going on, but just because they've got their own story doesn't mean that we have to accept and allow their stuff to come into our stuff and to take up space in a way that feels dysfunctional and unhealthy or toxic. And yes, that includes family. For those of you who are questioning that, because everybody's like, yeah, yeah I get boundaries when it comes to relationships and like friendship. But, but like, this is family. This is my family. This is my mother. This is my sister. This is, yeah. 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 It's so hard with family because we have this sense of loyalty, this sense of indebtedness. Um, our, you know, our attachments are <laughs> based in that space. You know, it's really, really hard because the little us is oftentimes who comes to play. And little us does not have any idea how to how to set boundaries, right? Like, you know, seven-year-old me has no clue how to set that boundary with my mom. But, you know, 30-something-year-old me might be able to do that. And it's hard because when we, I think a lot of people can can resonate with the experience of like when sometimes when you walk back into your childhood home, no matter how, uh, no matter how much work you've done, like somehow the tools all go out the window and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so reactive. Wait, I don't know how to breathe. Wait, I don't know how to communicate. (laughs) I think, I think Ram Das said like something about, uh, like you're so, you know, yes, you're, you're enlightened until you go back into your family. You know, it's like, yeah. Oh, I, I walk into my, my childhood, like my parents home and I forget how to pour myself a glass of water. I'm like, I, like I need, oh. I need my mom to like do that for me. And, and like, I mean, that's just a one little silly example, but like, obviously like when there's, when there's deeper wounds and when there's, yeah. when there's stuff there, there's other stuff there, like all that comes back into play. Yep. Yeah, it really does. And so you know, there's a lot of, you know, parenting of the self that has to happen in this space, especially when we are setting and keeping boundaries when it comes to our family members, because the little us will often be who comes out because we're still craving for something in that space. And it's so important to bring the adult us 
to that table to set those rules and set those consequences in motion to say like, I'm not going to engage in this if this isn't how it's going to look. And yeah, that might mean me skipping a holiday or skipping coming home or taking some space or not talking to you for, you know, a while. And sometimes and that can be such, yeah. 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 And that can be really, really painful work because there's right from an, like, an evolutionary perspective, this like inter- intrinsic like desire to be connected to our family members, our caregivers and our caretakers and to seek that sort of care from them, even when they continue to show us that they can't and they, they're not, they're, they are not equipped to be able to do that. And they keep, they keep not caring for us in the way that we deserve and are worthy of. Yeah. Um, so there can be a lot of, I mean, I don't, I'm sure you've seen this and I've seen it in my practice, like just a lot of grief work around, yeah. around that loss, right? Like around the recognition, like this, this keeps happening and this isn't changing and I need to be the one to set and maintain the boundary and just the tremendous loss and pain that can come with that recognition. There's, there's so much of it because there's that, the little one in us is, but maybe if I just do it this way, or maybe if I just try it that way, or maybe this, maybe that, if only, if only, if only. And yeah, Yeah. there is so much grief in that space. And our, you know, our job is to pick up the little us and sort of parent ourselves back Mm -hmm. into a space of safety. Because when we allow ourselves to go back into that space, there's just so much rewounding and uh, like re-trauma that can happen there. That visual just gave me chills mm. of picking picking little self up. Oh, um, always, yeah, yeah I, I love in session. I just, I always do this motion of scooping the, the little, mm. you know, it's like, I've got you, you know, and, and we, we have to remind the little one within um, so that that one can trust us as the adult. But when we yeah. don't keep the boundaries, it's really, really hard for the little me to trust the big me. And, you know, I, in my practice, I work with a lot of uh, peripartum couples and um, individuals. And there is something about having your own child when, where all of a sudden, it's such, it's obviously such a vulnerable um, yeah. and, and tender time in our lives, but it has this way of, putting all of these relationships and boundaries like on the table. It's like now all of a sudden, like it's not just about me, um, but all, and it's about this child as well. But it's also now about like, now I'm a parent and I'm seeing what it feels like to parent a child in a way that is, is, is either maybe meeting meeting needs that I needed to be met that weren't, or I'm struggling with um, meeting these needs because I never received mm-hmm. that kind of care. And so, I, I don't know if you've if you've seen this work as well, but like you know, having a child and like entering that that phase of the family life cycle has a way of putting so much on the table around boundaries with our own parents, boundaries with our in-laws, um, you know, really reckoning with some stuff that's happening in our marriage or in our partnership. Oh, it just has a way of bringing all of this stuff. It definitely does. And it's, you know, it's such, such powerful work and you're right. I think, you know, obviously, um, parents will become super confronted, uh, with, with, 
new expansive work that needs to be done around their healing. Um, but also you're right around like how boundaries start to shift when you have your own little ones, because you do go into this protective space. And, you know, if you have your own parents mm-hmm. who are still living and they're the grandparents, then it's like, well, how are they going to show up to my child? And, you know, do I, what are the boundaries that I set there? And I mean, my gosh, we could probably do an entire podcast on this too, but also see grandparents who show up so differently than the way that they did as parents. And sometimes we see our experiencing jealousy, you know, like how, how can you do this for my child, but you weren't able to do this for me? Um, Or, you know, or, you know, I know we're talking a lot about the the, the humanness and, and some of the, you know, negative experiences, but also being confronted if you had parents who did a really great job and the insecurity of what well, show up like this, how, you know, how do I, um, you know, how do I give my child what my parents were able to give me? And again, you know, coming back to the topic of boundaries is like, where are my boundaries with myself as I'm navigating these waters? You know, where are the boundaries with my own self-talk, right? My own self-critic, my own, you know, like as we are moving through different stages and transitions in life, these boundaries are not just these invisible lines with others, right? They are with ourselves and how we treat ourselves and how we talk to ourselves. You know, we are the nastiest, meanest to ourselves. We get up in that brain and we're like, if somebody could just transcribe what we were all saying to ourselves day in, day out, I think we would just be horrified. And we have to look at the boundary with the self, no matter where we are in life and no matter what it is that we're doing and confronted with and who we're with and thinking about how am I speaking to myself and how am I treating myself and what rules and expectations am I setting for myself? And am I adhering to them? You know, am I treating myself in a way that feels honorable and respectful and aligned and grounded? Uh, So I don't want us to forget about, you know, boundaries with the internal experience of the self. Oh, absolutely. And that touches, that touches all of the other boundaries that we're talking about. And I mean, I agree, we could do a whole other podcast episode on just, on just like the transition into parenthood and like what that looks like. Cause I, I see it in my practice. Yes. What you're talking about, like, even if our, our relationship with our parents wasn't, was amazing. And our childhood was like, this amazing. was, was like dreamy, you know, all of a sudden it's like, well, how do I how do I do that now? And and am I going to be good enough? Um, Can I do enough? Can I meet that sort of that, that ideal? Um, But in not just in, and obviously not just in like our relationships, our partnerships and our um, relationship with our parents, but also, you know, looking at friendships and our relationship with our employers, you know, boundaries that were really uh, porous with our jobs and our, you know, our bosses. Now that we have a child, all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is no longer going to work, but we do have to do, there is a lot of internal work that has to happen around, around that first, connected to like our identities, connected to, yeah, that negative self-talk. Oh my gosh. I mean, we could... We could go on and on and on, Deanna, about this, I and I wish, <laughs> I wish that we could. But I, you talk so much about this um, on your social media accounts, and I also know that you have 
an incredible e-course that you just recently launched. So maybe you can share a little bit about where people can continue to find and follow your work um, and and some of the projects you have going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. So on Instagram, it's mindfulmft, as in marriage family therapy. Um, Yeah, my husband and I just launched a six-week course on um, getting the love that you want. And it's a really in-depth, comprehensive, integrative uh, course. We're in the midst of it, so people can't sign up for it yet. But if you you join the newsletter and follow along on social, um, and we can put the link in the notes um, for people, um, then you'll be able to catch it when we launch it again. and then some of the upcoming stuff, I have um, singles retreats and um, Connor and I are doing a couples retreat in the Dominican Republic uh, in October of this year. It's the most magical retreat ever. Oh, wow. I, yeah, it really is. And uh, we're so excited to be going back. Um, it's just such transformative, beautiful group work um, that's so, so powerful. So yeah, I mean, just following along on social or in the newsletter is the best place to catch the event. I'm in, I'm based in New York City, so you know, I put a lot of events on here, um, and and do try to travel around from time to time to different cities to to speak um, in person there as well. But that's probably the best place to see all of the things that are being offered. Um, so yeah, incredible, and I will absolutely put all of this information in the show notes for anybody who's listening. You can go straight there to get all of those direct links to continue to follow Vienna's work. And Vienna, you recently got married as well, right? Like you and Connor, this was a recent marriage, a recent thing that happened. And I just wanted to say congratulations. Thank you. Huge congratulations. It was a beautiful, fun, amazing, perfect weekend. So thank you. And it just, it's, it's, it's wonderful to kind of, to touch on that, um, especially you sharing, you know, the, the, the family origin story in the very beginning of this, you know, and some of the fears that were there. And, yeah. and I'm, you know, I know it was a non-linear path to um, finding your person and, and making that commitment, but just, you know, congratulations. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's so wonderful to, to follow you and Connor, who is um, at Man Talks yeah. on social media. Um, to see all the work that you guys are doing together now. Thank you so much, Cassie. All right, Vienna, this was lovely. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I am just so grateful. Thank you. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day.